The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Rockheads, quit surfing for gender changers and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 264 with guest Donald Farmer, recorded live Tuesday, July 31st, 2007. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now, bringing world-class .NET and SharePoint training on-site to your development team. Online at www.franklins.net. And by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who's attempting to make up for 40 years of no sleep in one weekend, Carl Franklin. Thank you very much, and welcome back to another episode of .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin on the east coast of the United States of America. Uh, Richard is not with me for this introduction, but he will be here shortly. Uh, with our guest. But before we get to that, let's start right off with Better Know Framework. So today I want to talk about the serializable attribute class. And this is an attribute that you can put at the top of any class. Basically, just says serializable. All right. And what this does, it indicates that a class can be serialized. And if you don't know what serialization is, fear not, I'll give you a little primer. Serialization is the act of taking an object in memory and turning it into data that can be written to disk or sent across a network or anything, just pure data. And deserialization is the opposite. Deserialization takes that data and turns it into an instance of an object. And so uh, any class that you have, as long as there are no non-serializable objects as properties anywhere in the class, it can be serialized. But you do have to mark it with a serializable attribute. Now, there are different ways that you can serialize an object, but if you, if you want to just create a stream of bytes, you're going to use the binary formatter. And the binary formatter is in system.runtime.serialization.formatters.binary.binary formatter. And that's what you can use to turn your serializable object into uh, an array of bytes. Essentially write it to a stream. And you can also deserialize with that. 
And that is your Better Know framework for today. All right, I also want to mention before we get started here that the Sleepless in New York entry deadline has come and gone. And so thank you to all who signed up for that, and you will be notified shortly of whether you made the cut, very shortly, from what I understand. So that's going to be a whole lot of fun. We'll be uh, doing a show around that event in New York City, and good luck to everyone who participates. Also, Infusion is still looking for great developers. They've been hiring .NET developers for months now, and they still don't have enough big projects going on in New York City. So if you're a hotshot developer and you want to move to Manhattan and live rent-free in an apartment in Manhattan for a year and work in a really exciting environment, check out shrinkster.com slash kh6. And now through the magic of audio editing, Richard Campbell's going to join me for the interview, which was previously recorded. All right, Richard, let's go ahead and introduce Donald Farmer. Donald has worked in the Microsoft Business Intelligence team for six years. Uh, He has worked on both the analysis services and the integration services product teams. Donald's now the principal program manager for SQL Server Data Mining, working to build a seamless integration of predictive and exploratory analytics with a Microsoft Business Intelligence offering. Mr. Farmer is a popular speaker at international events for both business and technical audiences with a wide range of interests, including data integration, information quality, metadata intelligence, master data management, and predictive analytics. He's the author of a number of books and articles, Prior to joining Microsoft, Donald worked not only in business intelligence, but in fields as varied as medieval archaeology and fish farming. Medieval archaeology. Tell me, were you in the uh, Society for Creative Anachronisms? It sounds like it, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the, the team I worked for was called the Scottish Urban Archaeological Trust, which is uh, a oh. mouthful in itself. Yeah. Was that SCART? Suat. <laughs> Suat. Wow, but I and I got to imagine you talk about a place like Scotland, like there's stuff in the ground. Oh yeah, there's stuff in the ground. Huh? Sure, and we dug it up. And fish farming. <laughs> Let's just get the fish farming thing out of the way. So, wh- what led you to that field? Um, I was working in software for for salmon farms. They have some really interesting kind of um, software requirements to measure fish growth and fish feed and all sorts of things. It was no. kind of interesting. I'd be out there with you know water dripping off my. Uh, my waterproofs working on uh, debugging programs a couple of miles out at sea. It was wow. It, it was good fun. Now we're obviously not talking Scotland here. Probably the Pacific Northwest by now. Is no, that was in Scotland. That uh, was I didn't in come to the Pacific Northwest until I came to uh, Seattle. So they they have salmon in Scotland. They have a lot of salmon in Scotland. Yeah. Wow. That's that would be called Atlantic salmon. That well, was Atlantic you know, salmon. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm. I've. You know. I've been brainwashed by the Microsoft people who tell me that you haven't had salmon unless you've had it in Seattle. So. You know, I hate to say this, but the salmon in Seattle are delicious compared to the yeah, salmon in Scotland. The wild salmon here are fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's only one species of Atlantic salmon, and there's half a dozen in the the northern Pacific area, and they're and they're amazing. Some are better than others. Absolutely. I'm, I'm kind of eating my way through them, yeah. Wow. <laughs> oh, well, you learn something new every day on .NET Rocks, don't you? Absolutely. So, let's talk business intelligence. SQL Server Data Mining. This is, uh, I, I, I saw the website, which is at um, uh, shrinkster.com slash R-E-L, the SQL Server Data Mining.com data site. This is uh, the, an, an effort of the SQL Server team? 
It is, yeah. The, the SQL Server data mining site is really just a, a place where we can pool all the various pieces of information together. Typically at Microsoft, you know, we have a lot of different uh, websites. We have MSDN websites and we have um, TechNet websites. And there's some material which doesn't kind of fit into any of those categories. And there's a ton of articles out there in magazines and on the web. And so we just provided one kind of portal where we could pull all that together. And we called it SQLServerDataMining.com for want of a better name. It's a great site name. But, you know, maybe we've got to back up a couple of notches here because data mining, it really sits on top of analysis services, which has its roots all the way back in the OLAP server, SQL Server 7 era. And and That's I guess true. this is, I mean, I'm a data guy, so this is certainly something that I've dealt with for quite some time now. But I think an awful lot of folks aren't aware of just how much has happened over there. I remember back in 2000 when when it was announced that OLAP server is going to be part of SQL Server, I was working in data analysis with other products like uh, Arbor Espace. And folks said, hey, you're familiar with Microsoft. Is this the end of the world for OLAP for <laughs> us? Because if Microsoft's coming to the party, that this is it, right? Right, and, yeah. Well, it's not quite that grim, but it's going to be interesting <laughs> because it's going to bring it to them. You know, back then, OLAP and analytics, they were very expensive technologies. Now it's become much more commoditized, much easier to approach. I think what's really interesting is that it, it wasn't really the end of the party for anyone. Um, it was the end of a particular kind of party and the start of a new one. And uh, if you look at the growth of SQL Server analysis services over the years. In fact, it started in SQL Server 7.0. We had OLAP services in 7.0. And you look at the growth from there to today, where we're now the leading OLAP application, you'll see that we've got that growth primarily by growing the market, right. not by necessarily kind of taking over traditional um, OLAP shops and, and, and perhaps even you know, kind of competing with Airspace. We've actually built a new type of market, which simply didn't exist before. And when we introduced data mining in 2000 with like one or two algorithms, um, that was just a kind of toe in the water in the data mining space. But now we've got a, a full range of algorithms. We're full on as a high quality data mining product. And our intention is to do the same with data mining. It's to get that same kind of growth where we introduce data mining to people who would never have considered it before and um, get that kind of growth that we saw in the OLAP market. Now, most people, I think, think of data mining as just writing SQL queries. Maybe we got to get your definition or what we would say the real definition of data mining. Yeah, you know, if you read the newspapers just now, you see a lot of um, talk about data mining and you talk about the FBI data mining and the CIA data mining. And it's really in those, that sense, um, they're really talking about just large-scale database search. You know, we've got a ton of information on people. We've got all their... I don't know what records they have, all their phone records, all their library records. We're, we're searching through all them in some kind of phishing expedition. And that's a kind of modern usage of data mining, that which is um, a little bit less precise than what we are talking about. We're talking about, I guess, what's sometimes called knowledge discovery in databases. And it's really a set of statistical learning algorithms which will discover patterns of various sorts within your data sets. And then having discovered those patterns, build a model that represents the patterns and then use that model to predict what might might occur with future data. It's really about um, finding these rules and patterns and applying the rules and patterns to the future. It's not about just trawling through large volumes of data searching for records. You know, when I was uh, when I was in the business and doing a lot of work in SQL Server, 
admittedly, this is back in, you know, SQL Server 2000 days. Oh, way back in the day. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden, you know, for what was called, what we called storage and search became data warehousing and data mining. And I guess, is it just a, an, uh, you know, the scale of it and the scope of it is just much bigger. And that's why we use big words like warehouse, because in a warehouse, you have lots of things that are categorized and tagged and they're just put in big places, but you don't really do anything with them. And then mining is going and researching and finding uh, maybe corollaries between pieces that, you know, uh, you didn't really exp- know ahead of time were going to be linked. Is that a... Yeah, the, the, there is that sense that um, data mining probably relates back to my background in archaeology. You know, you kind of go through all the, the debris of the past looking for the kind of nuggets of knowledge that are in there. Um, I think data mining is quite often used in that sense. I, I We do tend to talk about it. You know, there's a couple of phrases which are kind of becoming common. We talk about knowledge discovery or machine learning. Uh, we can talk about data mining. Um, a more modern phrase, if you like, or a more popular phrase now is predictive analytics. And predictive uh-huh. analytics is where people are, I think it really kind of captures that sense of I build rules, I build I discover rules and patterns, not just for the sake of discovering rules and patterns, but for the purpose of applying them to new data in the future. And so I kind of like that phrase, predictive analytics, it's quite useful. The real concept here is I want to put my energy into the customers that will make me the most money, put the most energy to the most results. I can't give the same amount of energy to everybody because I won't get the optimal results. Uh, by one of my personal data mining examples is when we I was working with a company that was uh, make building uh, residences townhomes, and uh, one of our analytic pieces spat out that we had too many nurses that buying residences in this one particular building, and we realized that it wasn't nurses per se, but it was single professional women. It was an upscale place, but it was very secure and well organized and close to the things that women cared about. But it wasn't us that found that data. It was the data mining model, actually, in uh, in the original, original, the SQL 7 version that, that that worked on, where it said, there's a relationship between these chunks of data that you haven't identified, but I see it. And so we were able to shape our advertising campaigns to uh, cultivate that customer type. We focused on the things that single professional women would care about, and we advertised in the places that single professional women would want to uh, would look at. Right. And so having identified that kind of market segment, you were then able to put your energies into that and, and, and optimize your returns from it. And, get, and, and as a result, we, part, of, part of my reaction to that was it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because we had too many of them, we cultivated more of them. So we had way too many of them. Oh, I see. <laughs> uh. But, uh, but the reality was, yeah, we sold out a building by focus. We didn't realize the, el- the elements of that building that were important to people, to those people. And so the the data helped us find that uh, fact out and then take advantage of it. You know, there's two things I really hear when I hear that story. One, um, it reminds me very much of the a very common problem in data mining is how do you actually align this discovery of information with you know, your business? You know, it's not just enough to uh, discover these things, but you've also got to be able to um, act on it. And, and the second thing it reminds me of is, is that how difficult it can be to to actually act on some of that information. So, for example, you might have found 
that this building was attractive to a group of people who were less able to afford it than others. Um, and in that case, you, know, you may have actually had real difficulty acting on that information. Right. This building is most attractive to people who can't afford it. <laughs> you know, not <laughs> a great a business model, you know? Yeah. It, it, so data mining is actually used a lot in cases like that where we try to find the, you know, the best market demographics. One of the largest consumers of data mining is um, you know, marketing analysts who are looking, first of all, to understand what demographics are actually out there and what demographics are responding to the uh, to the business. And the other one is, of course, to try and optimize the business towards a certain demographic. They're doing it the other way around, if you like. So we got to tie this back to development somehow. I mean, this is almost uh, a very much a data-related topic. It is one of my favorites. But it seems to me Microsoft just recently has really reached a point where this whole concept of data mining and analytics is is able to be incorporated into regular applications. You see the terminology and the behavior much more often now. It's not sort of off at its ivory tower anymore. You do, that's for sure. And actually, to tie this back to development, I think one of the things that we do that's unique um, in Microsoft is we are very focused on data mining for developers. This is very, um, this is something that we do that's quite different and, uh, and it's something that's a very important part of it for us. What I mean by um, enabling data mining for developers is what we've been talking about so far, a lot of business cases, a lot of data analysis, a lot of business analysis. But in the long run, how do you actually deliver these results to people? Right. Now, traditionally, data mining has been used by people who had specialized data mining tools, which created specialized data mining reports with a lot of statistics and a lot of analysis in there. And they would do a kind of ad hoc analysis. They might run the model, see what results came out, analyze perhaps some complex 3D visualizations of the the demographic space or whatever, and then make some decisions on it. So they were analysts, and they had a skill in analyzing. That was their business. That was their job. Now, of course, what we're trying to see, what we're trying to develop is data mining for the end user, the typical end user. Organizations very often just can't afford to have these specialized analysts. They may have to buy it in as a as an agency service at some point. So what we're trying to do is enable data mining for the end user, and there's really two parts to that. One is to enable data mining for the office worker. So what I mean by that is the Microsoft office worker, the information worker who lives in an MS office, such as Excel. And we've done some great work in enabling that in Excel. But the other thing is to is to really target the application developer who can then embed data mining into operational applications. Wow, now that's an interesting idea. So rather than hiring analysts, you give the developers the tools and say, uh, we don't want you to write the the actual queries and things, but write us an application where we can access this, 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 and this, and the end user takes that application and goes to town. And the great thing about that scenario is when the end user is, is, is working in that application, they don't know there's data mining. They don't know there's a complex rules engine behind there. Mm. All they see is the results that they need to see. Well, any more than a regular user understands that there's SQL queries involved. This should this should just be invisible. Absolutely, yeah. And and it's really the same with, with, with data mining. Now, the world is actually full of these applications. The one that everybody's very familiar with is when they go on to an, e- an e-commerce site and they get... I guess in the, in the case of the kind of online bookstores like Amazon, you'll get an offer that says customers who bought this book also bought this book. Are you are you interested? Right. And that uses data mining to discover those patterns of what people are interested in. Now it's actually very easy, almost trivially easy, to build 
such an application, such a recommendation engine into an ASP.NET application um, using SQL Server data mining. It's actually one of the simplest data mining things you can do is to build a model that captures those um, association rules, as we call them, and exposes that to the end user as a recommendation engine. So I'm trying to think as a developer how, you know, what my tool set would look like when I'm writing a data mining application. And I suppose it's there's got to be some specifics there about the kinds of uh, kinds of things that the end user is going to be doing, but I I seem to have uh, you know you're seeing a lot of analytical tools like controls both for ASP.NET and uh, and uh, Windows Forms coming out in the third party market. Um, is this really what we're talking about? The you know basically just saying if they're gonna if they're gonna be look at looking at the relationship between I don't know up to five or six tables they put in the table names and they get graphs for a line for each one and then they can start messing around and bending things and plugging in variables and is that the kind of stuff we're looking at or well I don't see us doing this necessarily as a set of controls although there are some um, web client controls that can be used for visualizing the models. Um, visualization of, of data models can be quite useful for um, even fairly, um, fairly fairly inexperienced users because seeing some of these complex relationships visually really helps. But actually, what, what the way this kind of works for, for data mining, um, and let me just describe the moving parts that are there. But there's a data mining model built over source data, and that is normally built um, using SQL Server, using the Business Intelligence Development Studio, the development environment for SQL Server. It can be built in Excel using an Excel client, but most people are going to build this in the Business Intelligence Development Studio. Now, that model is then queried by client applications using a very simple language called DMX. It has to be distinguished from MDX. MDX is the analysis services query language. DMX is the data mining query language. And it's actually very, very SQL-like. DMX stands for Data Mining Extensions for SQL. And DMX is a really straightforward query language that can connect to the data mining um, server using um, adomd.net. And the queries are just very like SQL queries. So, for example, to do a prediction, you have a model which contains information about past data, and now you want to do a prediction based on that model to predict something from the future. We actually, um, the query just looks like a join. And what you're really saying is join my input data with the model and return to me a result set which actually represents the predictions of future information. And that that join um, is very, very straightforward to write. And uh, it's just like writing a SQL, uh, really just like writing a SQL join. And it's exposed just as an ADOMD um, .NET um, data set. And so it's very easy for the developer then to get that into the uh, into their application. All right, I'm gonna I want to walk through this one more time because I'm just barely keeping up. I'm gonna and I'm gonna start it from my existing application. I've got my SQL Server database there. It's got customers and orders and all that good stuff in it. And then I pull out uh, my business intelligence workshop, right? That which is a it's a studio like component, as I recall. That's right. And I got to build a data mining model. Is that the next step? That's the first step, yeah. yeah. So what does that involve? What am I really doing when I build a data mining model? Well, that's a great question. I mean, it's, uh, to build a data mining model, you really start with some existing data. Now, the first step for me in building that model would actually be 
partitioning my existing data into two sets, a training set and a, and, and a testing set. Um, training set probably about 75%, 70, 75% of the total data set. And I'd hold out a little bit of data, such as, say, 25% for testing on. Okay. And I'd probably do that randomly. Um, in the next version of SQL Server, we'll actually do that for you automatically. But in the current version, you might do something like use integration services or um, a query to split these sets. Now, once I've actually got my training data, which is a, a sample of data which represents my, my, my business cases, if you like, I then um, connect to that data from the development studio using the data mining wizard, I say. Give me a new mining model. And the next step is really to choose the algorithm that you're going to use. And the algorithm is a statistical algorithm which will go and find patterns in that data. Now, typically what you'll be doing is saying, there's a column here that I want to be able to predict. So let's say I've got some customer data, and I've got information on customers' ages and addresses and zip codes and occupations and annual income and so on. Now, I may want to say, okay, based on these patterns, can I predict which of these customers is going to be, um, well, the example we often use is, are they going to be eligible for a gold or silver credit card or or, or buyer's card? So if we had all that information and we already had columns which said these existing customers with all these attributes um, are gold or silver customers, then we can say, based on this incoming data, I'd like to predict in the future who would be a gold or silver customer. So I select the card type as being a predictable column, and I select all the other columns as being input columns. And so now when I run the algorithm against that at the end of the wizard, what that does is it searches for the patterns in my existing data that most strongly represent customers who are, say, gold or silver Hmm. card members. Those patterns are then captured in the mining model and deployed to the server. And at that point, I can now query the server to uh, to reuse those patterns against new data. Does that make sense? It's complex. It's it's not a simple thing. Maybe, yeah, let's go through one more example. Say the um, that you might want to buy this book too kind of model. Yeah, that's I mean that's that's a, that's a great example. I mean you you you've already bought um, this book, and other people have other people who bought it have bought many other books. Building that model is really pretty straightforward. You have um, a set of data, which is probably your transaction data, which has the ID of customers and the ID of um, customer of the books that they bought. Right. And training the model against that is really just a question of telling it, you know, I want to predict the the, the set of um, the, the set of books that people are likely to buy, given a particular input book. So customers who bought, you know, whatever is latest Harry Potter also bought six other Harry Potter books. I want to be able to detect that pattern. And so really all you need um, to build that model is a very simple piece of information. The idea of a customer and the idea of the books that they bought. And then it learns again, say, 75% of the data. And then the 25% is where you then say, okay, now based on what you know about this guy, what book this guy bought, what other books did he buy? That's right, yeah. And it and, and the reason that you keep this 25% out is, is that you, you do want to be able to test not just how well the model is trained against the existing data, but how well it performs against new data that it hasn't seen yet. And and, and the reason for that is that um, essentially you're going to use this model for predictions. So you really want to test its predictive capability. 
make sure that it's right. And I can't ever imagine, especially when we talk about like book buying, it's going to be a hundred percent, but That's it's right. going to be better. Really, the um, I mean, the, the the quality of the model and and the quality of the predictions that you are willing to, uh, you know, either tolerate at the low end or, or or happy to see at the high end, again, really depends on your business model. Um, right. If there's a very low cost to offering somebody, you know, making an offer to someone. Then you can probably, you know, have a a model that's that's reasonably predictive. But if there's a very high cost to act, acting on the prediction, then of course you want it to be as good as possible. Yeah, I could I could imagine in the gold and silver credit card model, you're talking about taking on some significant liability to offer the higher end card. If you get that wrong, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and there's also the sort of real time services like the these jukebox services, like the ra- personalized radio stations. Have you heard of this? Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. got to be using the same kind of thing. Where you, oh, they absolutely do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You basically say these are some songs that I like. Now entertain me, you know, and it figures out based on what other people listen to. Hey, do you find that the horizontal scroll bar is the most annoying thing when you're trying to read that impossibly long line of code? Well, maybe a 19-inch LCD monitor would help. Telerik challenges you to explore their new reporting product and have a chance to give your workstation a facelift. A 19-inch NEC monitor could be yours if you answer a few easy multiple-choice questions about Telerik reporting. Just spend a few minutes and see how easily you can generate Windows, Web, and PDF reports. Play with the drag-and-drop data binding. Experiment with Telerik's acclaimed CSS-like customization of reporting items. The reporting tool is fast, compact, and very easy to deploy with a mere X-copy. Even if you don't get top marks in the quiz, you can still be a winner. The modest score of seven correct answers out of 11 questions secures you a complimentary Telerik reporting developer license that you can use in your personal and professional projects. So go to Telerik.com and give it a try. It's fun. It's interesting. And it can get you a free license or a new monitor. Now, for developers, there's some interesting scenarios which pop out which are not just about e-commerce applications and not just about recommendations, but there's some interesting scenarios around things like data validation. So on the SQLServerDataMining.com site, um, there are some examples which are actually hosted on the left-hand side. There's a link that says, you know, I think it says live samples. And these hosted applications give you an idea of what data mining can do for scenarios which are, which are if you like, non-commercial. And one of them, um, a data validation sample is it works like this. Given some customer data that has already been input to a system, we can find the patterns within that customer data. So if you input somebody's age and their education and their salary and their name as you're taking down that data, perhaps in a call center, then once you've got a set of those records of existing customers, you can train the model and discover the patterns in that. And then as somebody enters a new record, you can validate it by saying, does this look anything like the patterns that we've already discovered? And if it doesn't look like the patterns that we've already discovered, then you can raise a warning to the user, in this case, the call center um, operator, and say, that looks like that data might be wrong. So somebody's been entering data that says that um, uh, somebody's buying a mountain bike and they um, 
they're 120 years old. And we can say, you know, that Bet looks like bad data. Yeah. <laughs> that looks wrong. <laughs> so, I mean, just in terms of just straight data validation, it's a more advanced way to validate. I was immediately thinking the fraud angle that, you know, this doesn't look like a, a real person. They might be, they are, they're, they're trying to fish or they're trying to come up with some scheme to steal from you. And absolutely, that's that's something that we're all probably familiar with when we've had, you know, credit cards stopped or transaction queried or so on, that um, they're looking for patterns of of activity that may be fraudulent. And um, that's something that data mining is extensively used for. And it, does, it doesn't need to be that kind of high-end application. It can just be very, very useful in, in very simple web applications can take advantage of this. So are we talking about um, SQL Server 2005 analysis services as being the the center of the universe in, in Microsoft for, for data mining? Yeah, it's the center of the universe in Microsoft for analysis. And, you know, predictive analytics as being, if you like, a kind of advanced form of analysis absolutely lives in there. And there's quite a lot of advantages to, for example, using OLAP and data mining together um, or, or using them separately for that matter. So um, this is where it lives. And you do need to have um, analysis services. That means SQL Server standard or enterprise edition in order to take advantage of data mining. And that's true, you know, um, for the developers, true for the data analysts as well. And you don't need to have reporting services, but if you want to do reports that work against your models, that's probably the easiest way to do it, huh? Absolutely, yeah. And you can use this DMX query language to query, the, right. you know, to, to build reports. The other thing is even if you're using the the, the Excel add-ins, and the Excel add-ins are... Um, a really awesome feature for uh, it's a freely downloadable feature. If you have SQL Server and you have the new version of Office, Office 2007, you can download these add-ins, which enable data mining directly inside the Office environment. I just felt about cool. I felt about ten thousand developers just go, "Oh no, now my boss is going to ask me for this in Excel." <laughs> <laughs> they well, love their Excel, don't they? Hey, the nice thing for the nice thing for developers in Excel is that um, we actually provide a trace button so they can see what their boss is doing as well. Oh, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Actually, that's not the intention of the trace button. The trace button is, of course, to enable you to track what uh, calls are being made to the server so you sure. can find out what's gone wrong, if anything has gone wrong, or what models were built or so on. But I can see other uses for it, you know. <laughs> uh Jumping back, we, we talked about the, the sequence from the database. Now you build the model. And then, and then once that model works and you can see that it's predicting successfully with your existing data, now you're just making DMX queries through uh, ADO.net to say, given this customer, what's the likely book list? That's right, yeah. So there's really the, – the challenge here to me sounds like it's the, the model is the challenge. Once you get the model right – Querying against is pretty painless. I, I would say that's right, actually. I mean, querying is painless, and the model is perhaps conceptually the most difficult thing to get uh, your, your mind around. Um, that's actually one of the advantages of the Excel add-ins is that they simplify those models greatly, and they allow people to, if you like, learn by example. Um, otherwise, if you're not going to learn by example, you're going to have to learn from scratch, and that includes understanding a bit more about what the different algorithms do and what circumstances they can be used in, because different algorithms are different are good for different um, scenarios. So you know you can you can start from that side and 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 learn. 
But another thing we're looking at within Microsoft is whether we can provide some packaged models, some kind of get you started models for for, for well known schemas. So, for example, we could create a customer schema, um, perhaps like a view, and say, well, look, as long as you can get your data into that view, here's a model which you can build over it and train over that data. Right. So then you sort of eliminate those things. Every time I play with data mining, I was always asked the question, which algorithm do you want to use? And I never really knew which one to use. And there, there wasn't that many, but you sort of guessed. I'll just try this one and see what the results are like. And if it wasn't any good, I'd do it again with a different one. Yeah, and um, um, professional data miners do that too. They, they very often run every, every model, every algorithm, and then having created a whole set of models for each algorithm, they'll then use validation just to find out which one it is. But um, there are some heuristics, of course, as, as to which algorithms are best for which circumstances. Right. I'm looking at the list of algorithms that are available and in uh, SQL Server. Decision trees, clustering, time series, association rules, sequence clustering, naive bays. Ah, you got to love that one, yeah. How about neural network? Is that what I think it is? Yeah. You... Wow. And and interesting that you would no say idea. that, too, because when you were describing the sort of learning process, right away I thought fuzzy logic model. Yeah, this is how the brain works. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and neural nets are actually very powerful and, and useful for, you know, quite a lot of scenarios, such as, you know, classification, um, estimating future values, and so on. And the other two are linear regression and logistic regression. Yeah, I know what a couple of those are, but that's that's pretty awesome. I, I have no idea when you would use what. Yeah. So we provide some advice in the um, books online about that. And again, one of the nice things that we've done, say, in the Excel interface that people can start to learn with is that rather than thinking about the algorithms, the Excel interfaces talk about the tasks that you do with them. So, for example, mm. rather than saying, you know, do you want to use decision trees or clustering, they say, Go do cluster. Go and find cluster, customer clusters, or go and find categories within this data, and then under that they will use different algorithms. So you can take this very task-oriented inter- interface, forecast, categorize, find exceptions, associations, and from that, um, you know, you can learn which algorithms are used and what the models look like and how they perform. And that's a, that's probably a much more friendly interface than expecting people on page one of the wizard to just choose between linear and logistic regression. Yeah. Now I'm thinking I'm looking at the live samples, and there's the data validation sample, which to me is is fascinating because it's it doesn't really sound database driven at all. How does this work? Where I'm entering these items and it's making suggestions. Uh, Code wise, are you actually making trips to the server to get the data together? What happens is um, the, the data has already been uh, all the customer data in that database has already been scanned and and that data mining model has been trained against it. Right. So there's a set of rules, and that set of rules will be much smaller than data. The data could be terabytes of data, and the set of rules that comes out could be quite small and lives in memory on the server. And that set of rules has been queried, but not all the data has been queried. So just imagine, I mean, I don't think there's much data behind the, the model online, but it could easily be built over terabytes of data. But the query at each time is just a query to the rules engine saying which rule is most appropriate for this data. And if we don't find a rule that is appropriate, um, we can return that information to you and say, we couldn't find any rules, and here is how your data fell outside those rules. So that's a very 
um, is, is a very lightweight interface. There is a server in the background. There is a server, and it's running SQL Server Analysis Services, but it's actually serving up a fairly lightweight rules engine. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. And and the big thing here is that you're getting all the data together, and it's it almost looks like it's this, uh, you'd send this off to the validator before you'd send it to the database. That's right, yeah. And then it would say, you know, I don't, it doesn't look right. You know, I actually put in some bad data and it came back and said, yeah, this doesn't look like this is an appropriate age. That's right. It doesn't smell right. You know? Yeah, it doesn't smell right. And some of those rules can be very difficult for human beings to infer. They, they can be, um, so for example, the normal way of doing this, if you were writing data validation there, is you would in fact be saying um, the maximum age of a customer is 110. And right. That's a hard rule, and if there's an entry which is 112, that's not, that's not valid. While the kind of rules that we find in data mining are, you know, we've got no customers who are 110 who are buying a buying a mountain bike, and yeah, it may well be that one day a customer comes along who is 112 and buys one for their great 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 grandson or whatever. Right. But in that case, then of course, what your uh, your hard coded business rule would reject it. Um, the data mining rule might learn. That and in fact there was a legitimate customer, and and ultimately the rules are modified. You know, going all the way back to that whole suggesting books thing. That what's challenging about that is new books coming all the time, That's and it. new customers coming all the time. That's true. Purchase behavior changing over time, and this is why I said that you know, the, the data mining model may learn that there's a valid customer. One of the very important things you should do with data mining models is you don't just build them once. You in fact train them continuously, or right. not necessarily continuously, but at least regularly. Um, we have data mining within Microsoft that we use for our own marketing, and they run a system where they in fact use a data mining model to do their predictions, and at the same time they have two or three candidate models sitting in the background being tested, and as soon as one of them starts to outperform the uh, the model is in production. That'll be promoted into production. Now, the reason being that things do change over time. At this point, we're in uh, the height of summer as we're talking, and it's a beautiful day out there, and there's probably people out there buying, you know, beer and barbecue fuel, and um, that's, a, that's a fairly typical kind of summer sale. Right. In the winter, they're not going to be buying those things. Um, they may probably still be buying beer, but they're not buying barbecue fuel along with it. So if in the middle of December, if somebody buys some beer and you suggest, hey, do you want some barbecue fuel? They're going to think you're crazy. Well, you've never been to Richard's house for a barbecue. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I remember a story like this. When we were explaining the whole data warehouse OLAP analysis uh, concepts back in the late uh, 90s, there was the beer and diapers story. Right. Do you remember yeah. that story? Oh, yes, absolutely. And Do you want to, uh, it's a funny story. I'll, I'll tell it or you could tell it, but it's just the, this whole idea of predictive analysis. Well, the idea was that, um, and I believe the story is an urban legend. Yes. It was, it was used as a kind of potential example. But the idea was that a, a retail customer supermarket um, mines all its data about who was buying what, and it discovers that there's a correlation between people buying beer and people buying diapers. I think particularly on a Friday evening was the idea. And the, there's a number of uh, potential explanations depending on your um, sociological bent on this one, but uh, one of the explanations was that people, men in particular, stopping home and away back from work on a Friday evening, ready to watch, you know, sports at the weekend or, or movies with their buddies, you know, picked up some bottles of beer 
and then thought, hmm, I, I'm, I'm being pretty selfish here just buying beer, and I'm going to get into trouble when I get home, so why not pick up some diapers and show that I'm a bit of a new man as well? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and so they found this correlation that you know, no other, nobody else would have found if they hadn't done data mining. Well, it's still a theory, you know, it's not <laughs> validated or anything. The correlation could have been validated. Right. Now, this one is an urban legend, but I think what's useful about it is it does tell you something that's pretty significant about data mining and the way in which people do use data mining. It's because people are looking for some sort of, I could say some sort of magic, but it's more like some sort of innovative insight. They're looking for an advantage. They're looking to find something yes. that no one else has found. And so, you know, data mining results to be successful. It's not just enough that they're accurate. It's not just enough that they are um, actionable in the way we were talking about earlier, that you can actually do something with the information. People also want them to be innovative. If data mining just gives you the same results as you would get from reporting or analysis, um, um, reporting a roll-up, then it wouldn't be so, so exciting. It's the idea that you might get results that you couldn't discover just by exploring your data, but it's actually going to discover something new that you would have overlooked when you were exploring that data. And, of course, the actual element on the, the beer and diaper story is to make sure you put the diapers by the beer. Absolutely. Uh-huh. The guys going in there for the beer, some of them are smart enough to go, oh, I better get diapers. But most of them aren't, and so if you put the diapers nearby, they're more likely to buy them. I think if you drink enough beer, you'll need a diaper. <laughs> well, exactly, yeah. I think nowadays you might put the Depends by the beer and see, That's you know. right. Diapers are for me. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, we'll edit that one out. But anyway, <laughs> uh, no, we won't. So um, let's get back to the algorithms, because this is the fascinating thing for me. What if I want to use an algorithm that's not in the list, that isn't supported by SQL Server? Am I out of luck? No, you're not out of luck. I mean, there's nine algorithms in the list, and if you if you want one that's not there, there's a couple of options. One is to, uh, you know, ask us to provide it or look around for someone who's already written it. But there's also an option to write your own algorithms, oh, and uh, you can write your own algorithms and uh, manage code and install them into uh, into, into, into SQL Server data mining. And there's quite a few people have done that. I wouldn't say there's a big aftermarket of algorithms yet, but there's certainly people out there who are writing them. And they can be pretty useful. I mean, people can sometimes write either specialized versions of algorithms or they may write some entirely new algorithm or some algorithm that they learned at college that they're they're kind of rewriting again for the SQL Server platform. And we certainly encourage and provide a lot of help and assistance to people who want to do that. It seems to me, though, there's a lot in the box just with the, what is it, 11 or 12 that you have. I think, it's, I think it's nine, and then there's some variations on them, yeah. yeah. I mean, there is a lot in the box, and frankly, they, they meet a lot of the business needs. And the requests that we've had for other algorithms have tended to be, you know, from people who've got some really highly specialized requirements. You get into analytics for that are specific to the uh, the given enterprise they're in. And I'm thinking archaeology is a candidate, actually. <laughs> There's a lot of interesting analytics I've seen a, about archaeology for predicting this is likely where something will be. Yeah, I mean, some of the things that are some of the areas in which you might see some developments in the future might be around stuff like spatial analytics. Um, but one of the the questions we have to kind of look at there is again is are the algorithms that we have interesting enough or good enough for that. And I think over the years you'll see us adding more algorithms, but I also want to kind of encourage this aftermarket and algorithms, whether that aftermarket is commercial or, you know, shared community source, I'm not too worried, but certainly it would be nice to see more algorithms out there. Hmm. 
I mean, you mentioned spatial. Right away, I'm jumping on uh, geospatial data, the idea that we could have predictive models looking at the addresses of customers and saying, you are likely to find more customers here. Ooh, big brother. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's the equivalent of what people do. I mean, one of the nice things about data mining is, is that um, it simply works at a scale and with a speed and with an efficiency that right. allows you to discover these, these innovative insights and make these innovative predictions. Absolutely. But the process is pretty much what people would do even without predictive analytics. Mm. You know, the beer and dappers is, is um, an example of somebody, you know, finding a pattern that would simply have taken a huge amount of work to find any other way and would probably have been overlooked. But there are plenty of scenarios where, you know, people are doing that work already. I always right. say that, you know, we all do predictive analytics. If I'm a shopkeeper and in January, I'm talking to the sales rep, and I'm working out how many boxes of Valentine cards I want to stock for February the 14th. Then I'm doing predictive analytics. Yeah, but you're, and you're doing it out of your gut rather than out of your data. Absolutely, yeah. I'm doing it from my experience rather than you know um, an, an analysis of the data. I'm kind of doing it from my own gut feeling analysis. So uh, let's back getting back to the developer experience for a little bit. Um, I'm reading about the uh, viewer controls which are available, you know, the viewer con- uh, controls from the Business Intelligence Development Studio and SQL Management Studio um, are re- redistributable. That's right, yeah. So if you want to get that same kind of look in your application, you can uh, download and plug them in. That's right. They're, they're reasonably easy to integrate as well, and they, and they do give you those uh, fairly complex visualizations of data mining that, that can be pretty useful for users because very often the rule sets that we discover are pretty complex. And when you're using them in an application, of course, it's nice to be able to prevent them to the user in a very simple way where you just give the user a number or you give the user a suggestion. But if you're somewhere in between the sort of the, the developer of these rules or somewhere between an analyst and um, a simple end user, and you actually want to see some of these rules and understand how the rules interact, then the visualizers are great for that. And are these uh, controls managed controls? Are they comm controls? What are they? These are managed controls, yeah. Oh, very good. That's so good to know. So everything is .NET now. Uh, yeah, everything in .NET now, yeah. That's the, um, that's the future. And, of course, one of the reasons being it's, it's very, very simple to develop against these things. Yeah. I don't think we could probably do a data mining discussion without saying the word dashboard at some point. Oh, yes. Dashboard. Yeah. All right. Next. Isn't that like the normal? Next question. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're just going to move away from it. When I think business intelligence, I think little googly gadgets and and gauges and dashboards and things. Arrows are pointing up. Arrows are pointing. That's good. Arrows are pointing down and that's bad. (laughs) That's all I know about my business. Sure. I hope you don't mean googly gadgets in the sense I think you mean. No, no, no. uh, no. Don't say the G word. I didn't mean that at all. (laughs) No, I think. um, Blinky lights. People absolutely do think in those terms about, you know, how do I I make this. visualization kind of straightforward and easy and just point towards the trends that are going. Um, I've been doing a lot of work recently on, you know, how do you build predictive dashboards? The, the, the classic dashboard that people see when they are building these um, the, the, these um, scorecards and dashboards is, here's what happened last month. Here's the way your sales have been going and look, they're going badly. Or here's the number of customers who churned away from your service last month. There's a problem with that, which is it only tells you what happened. And you've got to do the interpretation of what's going to happen. Right. Sometimes that can be straightforward. Sometimes it can't be. Um, 
what I like about data mining is that with data mining, you can build predictive dashboards. Dashboards which say, not just this is what happened, but this is what's likely to happen. Mm. Here is a prediction of how many customers will churn next month, at the very least giving you some time to do something about it. Right. Yeah. Stop telling me how I failed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If all we're showing you is, you know, dashboards that tell you what happened, um, and that doesn't really help you very much. Some of them, of course, are involved in planning and tell you, okay, this is what happened. This is what we'd like to happen. But that additional predictive element of this is what is likely to happen on top of that is, is I think, a really, really valuable addition. Now, the great thing about SQL Server for doing this is because the language that we use for querying predictions is the same as the language that um, is it's just an extension to SQL and can be used very easily. It's quite actually it's quite possible to build dashboards that are you know built over very simple predictive queries. You're not having to include additional objects. You can use you know standard reporting services, um, performance point um, server, the new um, performance management application or um, ProClarity as a BI tool, or Excel, for that matter, to, right. to build these. You know, I'm thinking out there for the average developer who's listening to the show, uh, looking for a new edge, you know, on their career. This is probably a way to make yourself very valuable to a company, is to, to learn the ins and outs of analysis services and, and data mining. I, th- I think this is a real advantage for developers to have this under their belt, because I talk to a lot of companies who know this stuff exists and think it's beyond them. And to have people in-house who actually have some skills in this in this area would be tremendously valuable for them. And you, um, they and probably I, I already own it. If they own SQL Server, they already own all the software necessary to do this. You know, this is something that, that, that I find all the time doing executive briefings. I'm, I'm called in to do an executive briefing, and there's, uh, people sometimes say, well, why are you talking to us about data mining? I say, because you already got it. You know, this, right. you know, this is something you're not using, and and I see jaws dropping open. People say, "Well, we've got data mining," and I say, "Yeah, you've got the fastest, most powerful data mining engine already, and it's, it's sitting there deployed, and you know, a number of servers through your enterprise, and you're not using it." And they're they're stunned to hear this. Well, Donald, let's keep the love going, maybe with a DNR TV episode where you could actually show us how to, from a developer's perspective, uh, perspective, do some of this stuff. What do you think? I think that would be great. I've been telling you how visual it is. I think we better show you something. Yeah, show some visualizations. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, I can't wait for that. That's going to be fabulous. But I, I, I do think the appeal here is that uh, from a from a employee from a programmer's point of view is these are the tools that influential people in the company tend to use. Those sorts yeah. of visualization tools. Where are we going? What are we doing next? You know, those are the kinds of uh, those folks. Uh, you make them happy, you're going to be happy. And you become very valuable to the company too. Absolutely, I think that's true. I mean, I think this is a, a, an incredibly useful skill to uh, to have um, at the uh, Tech Ed conference that we had in the U.S. Uh, we did a session. Uh, Rafael Lukovicki did a session on you know for developers specifically about using data mining to build intelligent applications. And his case was, was was a beautiful one. It was, you know, you can build, you can use data mining to build intelligence into all your applications, whatever they are. Because any of your applications which process data, any app, any application which is recording data can take advantage of this. I guess the first thing is just knowing what questions to ask, right? What, uh, what you know, what are people going to, what are those questions that the users are going to be asking when they're visiting our website, for example? And what what could we? What kind of information can we give them that would just be above and beyond? That's right. And those questions ultimately drive the um, 
the, the choice of the predictable columns that you choose for a model in technical terms, you know, what it is that you want to predict becomes the predictable and the, how you're going to make that decision becomes the inputs. And at the very simplest level, that's the, the easiest way to kind of think of that process. Suddenly I have an urge to turn the mining modeler against log files. Start predicting when I'm going to have more errors. Absolutely, oh, wow. yeah. Start predicting when you're going to run out of disk space. Right. <laughs> just think of, think of it a different way. Stop thinking about the customer. Start thinking about your information system. Yeah, yeah. Data mining for, um, you know, data mining over things like SQL Server dynamic management views becomes pretty interesting. Yeah. Mm. You've got all this data here and all the mi- mining's not magic. All it's doing is finding relationships, you know, stuff that you didn't know about. So just giving it a set of data and telling it, you know, how these things are connected together, then it finds the anomalous relationship. Is it any, is there any relationship that it can't find? You know, what's the, what is the big difficult holy grail now in 2007 for data mining? What are we, what are we still waiting for? You know, in terms of relationships that it can't find, I would say that it's the most difficult relationship to find are ones which are offset where you'd have to go through a number of relationships to find it. So um, I, I, my favorite example of that is, let's say I've got some um, some information on customers who've returned goods to me. I, I know which ones completed their orders, and I know which ones were unhappy and returned the items to me. And I have a lot of information, and one of the pieces of information, well, two of the pieces of information I have are their order date and the um, delivery date. Okay, the, the, the date they placed the order, the date the goods were delivered to them. Now, with those pieces of information, at present, if I do a data mining model, what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at all the order dates and find out which ones are significant, and I'm going to look at all the delivery dates and find out which ones are significant. All I'm going to find there are, are there any order dates that are significant and are there any delivery dates that are going to be significant? Yeah. What's actually significant is if, is perhaps if or if the distance between order date and delivery date is too great. So I might find out, for example, that if the delivery date is more than 15 days after the order, customers are more likely to return goods. But at the moment, a present data mining can't find that relationship unless I explicitly put in a derived column that calculates that that difference. Right, which means here's something that I think is important. Go and mine it. Right. So you have to the, create uh, the elements of data that the number of days to delivery is you define that. The, yeah. the miner won't create relationships that way. So I have to hypothesize about that and, and, and make that calculation. Um, I think one of the things that we're going to be trying to do in the future more and more is, you know, find those relationships for users, make some of those hypotheses for them, probably using heuristics and so on to do that. Hmm. Well, is there anything that we haven't covered? Wow, we've covered a lot of ground, haven't we? <laughs> Let me ask you this. If if and when we do this DNR TV, what would you like to show? I think I'd love to show two things in particular. Um, the, the data mining add-ins for Office, which are just beautiful in terms of the design and their ease of use. And until you actually see them, it's really difficult to get across just how powerful and easy to use they are. And then I'd like to show some of these web applications, some of the the interfaces that developers can build, how you can embed data mining into your own applications. I think that would be powerful to show as well. All right, excellent. Well, Donald Farmer, thanks a lot for uh, coming on the show. It's been enlightening for me. It's always great for me to hear 
two people who know what they're talking about uh, talk about a topic uh, intelligently. <laughs> you and Richard, <laughs> who I'm talking about. <laughs> There's always a funny dynamic on this show where sometimes it's a Carl show, sometimes it's a Richard show. Yeah, this one's yours, buddy. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> well, it's been great fun for me. I hope um, I hope you've learned something from it. But certainly for me, it's been a, it'll be a blast. I certainly have, and, and it has been a gas for me as well. Thanks a lot, Donald. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a